I always used to say a quick prayer myself to center myself and uh, come before God before reading scripture, but there's something so lovely about someone else praying that prayer on my behalf. Our scripture reading today is Philippians chapter four, verse one, all of it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. I know that you're all hungering for more than just one verse of scripture. We're gonna have plenty of verses from Philippians today in the sermon. Some of them will be direct quotes, some will be paraphrased. I didn't ask you all to read the four chapter book of Philippians before because I assume that you're all immersed in the week of guided prayer and other things. Um, so if you have a hard time picking out what's scripture and what's not in the sermon today, just go on and read Philippians afterwards and uh, it'll all make sense eventually. Friends at Mountain View, this is very short. Do you think I can figure out how to? Oh, there we go. I think that'll work. Nope, okay, it's gonna be short, that's fine. I'm coming up to the end of my pastoral care internship here as we approach the end of April. And my message today is going to be, I feel I should warn you, quite personal. It's gonna be personal because I'm going to share with you some things that I have observed here in this church and some things that I have observed about myself here in this church. Making observations and reflecting on them, after all, is an intentional part of a ministry internship. Now, due to the nature of diversity and people, I can guarantee you that every person who hears my words today will not agree with every one of my observations, and that's okay. We can manage that. But let me start with an observation about myself. One thing that I have been reflecting on about myself lately is how God has used my love of literature and story to shape my approach to ministry. In preparing for a previous career, I earned two English degrees, a bachelor's and a master's, and in those years, I found that I truly adore a form of literature called the epistolary, or the book of letters. This is a novel that's not written in chapters, but instead in a series of letters or communications of some kind. And these can be really lovely. If you're interested, ask me after the service and I can tell you my favorite three epistolary novels. But what I love about this genre of literature is how relational it is. I find that there's something potent and poignant about direct communication where there's no such thing as the passive voice. And I sometimes think of sermons as letters written to a congregation and perhaps that's one of the reasons why my sermons are always written out in manuscript form. It's also that I'm afraid I might forget everything I was going to say because I'm always quite nervous up here. 
But that's enough ob observing about me for now. What about my observations about Mountain View? I observe that Mountain View has some significant things in common with the first century church. Thankfully, not everything. Our lead pastor is not regularly thrown in prison like Paul was, and we don't have to take a long and perilous life-threatening journey on foot to visit other churches. But still, there are some striking similarities. First of all, the first century church was a mix of Jewish and Gentile cultures, uh, with each group having their own history of liturgy and culture and worship. And this presented them with some challenges of culture and liturgical practice as the new Christian church. People came to the table with their own set ideas of how worship should be done and what a worshiping community looks like. And I think we have some of that here too. Our foundational members arriving in Canada shortly after the war started the church with a specific worship songbook, a distinct liturgical style, and a set of practices for the shaping of a Christian community. Over the years, other influences have come in. The passing of time is one of them. Exposure to other Christian traditions is another, and exposure to other cultures here in Canada and from cultures coming in. And this creates a tension here that the first century church could well appreciate. Another similarity between this church and the early church, and this is something I find really interesting, is that Mountain View is not a congregation that gathers in just one place. The early church met in one another's homes for worship. Each town might have a few of these home churches, but by and large, the church was a far-flung scattering of home churches in towns and cities across a quite large region. And today, when it is normative to gather everyone together in a single building on a Sunday, Mountain View has, in addition to the folks gathering in the sanctuary, over 200 households joining us online for worship every week. Actually, I think the average over the last year has been like 275 a week, but I don't know how many of those are in Grimsby specifically. Like congregants in the early church, the folks who join us remotely don't do so because they don't like to gather, but they either need or desire to worship from home for a multitude of reasons. Here in Grimsby, as opposed to Philippi, these reasons are often related to mobility, physical and mental health, energy, hearing and sound management, work schedules, family dynamics, and other concerns. Some of our online worshipers are able to come in about half the time. Some try for once a month. Some make the rare pilgrimage to the main building when they can. And some folks only worship from home because that's what they need to do. Some of us just stay home and worship from home when we feel that we need that extra bit of rest after a very busy season or maybe on a particularly difficult day. And our ability to live stream and record our services means that life's difficulties won't keep us 
from worshiping together in spirit. And this is a wonderful gift, but it also means that like the first century church, we have to really strive to connect, to grow together as a community, as the body of Christ. We have to strive to love one another well as Christ instructs us to in his word. And so how are we doing that? With differences of culture, of experience, of location, and of physical ability, how does one keep the body of souls together? Do you remember how much I love epistolaries? Well, the New Testament is kind of like an epistolary in parts. At least, it certainly has a collection of letters in it. And Paul especially does something remarkable with his letters in terms of being the body of Christ. His letters are kind of like, kind of like a Pauline epistle sandwich. Hang in there. The meat of the sandwich is Paul's good moral and theological teaching on godly living. And the church, especially the Reformed tradition, has done a great job of attending to that spiritual food. I would never want to downplay the importance of that source of nourishment that has fed us for so long. But that good moral and theological instruction is sandwiched in between some really wonderful demonstrations of what it is to live into our identity as the church, as the body of Christ. And if we attend only to Paul's instructions, then we don't attend fully to his wonderful example of how to be a diverse and far-flung community in loving fellowship. We might overlook that part like it's mere garnish or maybe extra carbs. Here are just some things that Paul does in his letter to the Philippians, to be specific, that you can also find in other letters that he's written to other churches. He greets and blesses them. He thanks God for them and connects personally to them. He entrusts them to God, expressing confidence in God's continued work among them. He prays earnestly for them. He sends loving ambassadors to them. He's honest about his own challenges and shortcomings and those of the church. And he encourages them in various ways. And we're going to walk through these actions that Paul performs in the process of his letter writing this morning. We're going to look not just at what Paul is telling his church, but what he's showing them by his actions and words. At the same time, I'm going to share with you some of my observations of the life of this congregation over the past eight months. So to start off, Paul greets and blesses the members of the Philippian church at the beginning and the end of the letter. He begins by greeting the whole church, those in leadership and all God's holy people, he says. And he ends the letter with specific greetings from those who are with him and specifically the believers in Caesar's household. Paul demonstrates through his actions the holy work of greeting community members in love. Here at Mountain View, 
I've not only seen this holy work of greeting with the liturgy of God's greeting to the congregation and in the position of official greeters on Sunday, but also in the many connections that are made uh, over coffee after church or over coffee at Evergreen Terrace and Shalom Gardens and other places. I have heard and seen people greet one another with meals and small acts of service or kindness. And when visiting someone who was recently injured or ill or has suffered a loss, I often have listened to people tell me about how their phone just won't stop ringing with well-wishers, and I've sat through visits with five phone calls. Paul also thanks God for them. He writes, I thank God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Can you hear in his statement, not just thanks, but the way that he's relationally connecting to his far-flung church? These are not just nice words he's using. Writing supplies were very expensive, and letters had to be hand-delivered over many miles in Paul's day. So you would only ever write down crucial information in a letter. And this connection and relationship is crucial. And where else have I heard this personal and relational language? Back in February, the Sunday school children of Mountain View made valentines for our 100 oldest members. Pastor Christy and I asked the children when they gathered what they thought of the members of this church who could not be here physically on a Sunday. I asked them, who are they to us? And they responded, the children did, they are children of God like we are. We love them. We must pray for them and tell them that God loves them. And they did. The colorful little Valentine epistles that they sent out echoed Paul's very words. The children wrote in their own words, we thank God for you. We are glad that you're part of our community. God loves you and so do I. And we put a postcard in the envelope with each Valentine in case the recipient wanted to write back to the Sunday school children. And over half of them came back with words of thanks and encouragement and love. Here are some quotes from those postcards. We thank God for you. You have blessed me and given me joy today. It is good to hear from our younger brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, in the world of surveys and communication, 30% return is considered a very good response. 50% is incredible. No, 50% is the Spirit of God at work in the church. Paul also entrusts his church members to God, expressing confidence in God's continuing work in them. He writes to them, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Later this morning, you're going to be asked to affirm the list of names that are up for deacon and elder, expressing your confidence that God will carry on his good work in them. 
And when we pray for our missionary partners, we entrust them to God as we send them off to follow the Spirit's leading. And when we pray for our Sunday school children before sending them off, we entrust them to God, confident that he will continue working in their hearts, growing in their knowledge and faith in him. So in this previous talk of entrusting people to God, I just mentioned two different ways that Mountain View prays for one another. And that's another thing that Paul does. He prays for his church, writing to them, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And I've observed these last eight months that this is a church that is bathed in prayer during the season of Lent, we at Mountain View here were all fed with the good spiritual food of prayers of thanks written by different congregation members and read at the pulpit. I walked into the kitchen here on a Tuesday to find coffee break participants stop in the middle of cleaning up after co coffee break to pray for one another. And the congregational prayers here are led sometimes by pastors, elders, and deacons, but also by all different members of the community, even including young Micah, who with the guidance of his parents and the support of his elder, has lovingly written and then read his own prayers for the congregation. What a gift this is. And we just wrapped up the week of guided prayer exploring different ways to enter into the presence of God in prayer. I mentioned that Paul also sends loving ambassadors to his congregants whenever possible. He writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I appreciate how Paul points out in this passage why Timothy is such a good ambassador for Christ. He's a good ambassador because he acts out of love, showing genuine concern for those that he's visiting. I can honestly tell you that in the eight months that I've been an intern here, I have been impressed with how faithfully and enthusiastically the elders visit and contact people, and how enthusiastically the deacons seek to care for the needs of the congregation, in addition to their duties in stewarding the church's resources. Not to mention the tireless work of the Ministry of Care coordinators who visit, bring meals, and assist with further care needs. I called one of them at the very beginning of uh, the internship, and I said, what, what do you guys do? I've never heard of a ministry of care coordinator. And they said, we are here when more is needed. And I love that. I know that all churches have suffered when it comes to physical visiting and contact over the pandemic. But again, I'm impressed with how eager this council has been to pick this type of care back up and to move forward. And I would be remiss if I did not include in the category of loving ambassadors the tremendous amount of volunteer work that members of this church put into visiting and volunteering at Shalom and other residences. 
work that's been going on for decades. And in the midst of all of this good and positive stuff, Paul is very honest about the challenges that he faces and the challenges that the church faces. And he's honest about his and their own shortcomings and failings. He doesn't gloss over them. He mentions that he is indeed in prison. He admits that though many preach the gospel with a pure and honest heart, some preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. And he pleads with two women of the church who have, been, who have served by his side for the gospel to put their differences aside and to seek unity in Christ. He does not ignore their conflict. And also, at the end of the teaching about godly living that he puts in there, Paul admits, I have not attained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And whether Paul is talking about being in prison or his own shortcomings, he faces these challenges with a matter-of-factness that I think we can appreciate. In my experience, Mountain View is also a community that is very honest about challenges that are being faced and about our shortcomings and failings. This is a community that's honest about the messiness and the brokenness of human communities where all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes that honesty comes from those in the community who, after years of changes in church culture, and then after a pandemic, and then after suffering many losses of loved ones, mobility, and health, confess that they feel overlooked or even forgotten by their church in the midst of their suffering. And sometimes that honesty comes from regular physical attenders who say they recognize the potential suffering of those who are not sitting beside them on Sunday, and they just feel unsure of how to help. They feel a general sense of frustration and helplessness about how to be the church sometimes. Sometimes that honesty comes from folks who recognize the different liturgical and worship cultures present in this church, and they ask with honest hearts, how do we worship together well and love God with one heart in the midst of our differences? I have heard people confess, I am angry, I am heartbroken, I am frustrated, I am worried, I grieve. And they say these things when describing a variety of challenges that they face personally and that they face and that we face as a community. And I've seen congregants sharing these challenges with one another, sometimes in supporting and loving ways, and sometimes in grumpy and grudge-bearing and very human ways, like we all do sometimes. But like Paul, the saints at Mountain View in my experience, confess these challenges with honesty and frequently with humility. Finally, Paul encourages his congregants in a variety of ways. He encourages grace in the midst of conflict. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche 
to be of the same mind in the Lord, he says. And he encourages them in outlook. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your righteousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And he encourages them in perseverance to continue the good work in Christ that they are doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. He writes, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. One of the things that has brought me joy in the last several months has been hearing from my fellow intern pastor, Pastor Brady, about how the young adults are able to come together and offer one another mutual encouragement at their meetings. But I can also personally share with you that this is an encouraging congregation. I have been so graciously encouraged by so many of you. Texts after a sermon, emails, kind words, offers of prayer, and uh, especially one particular council member who prayed with me when my hands couldn't stop shaking when I was doing the Lord's Supper before Good Friday. And I have heard from the rest of staff that they also receive this loving encouragement, and it feeds their souls just as it feeds mine. And it's this last gift of Paul's that I hope to pass on to you today, the gift of encouragement. Friends at Mountain View, you are a community that greets and blesses, that thanks and prays, and that sends loving ambassadors, and that is honest about challenges, both personal and those of the church body, and that encourages one another. So be encouraged. Hear in Paul's words the voice of your loving Father, wonderful Savior, and guiding Spirit, saying, saints at Mountain View, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And allow me, your intern, to join Paul and our Lord in saying that I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we can press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus takes hold of us. I would love to pray with you. Lord, I wanna thank you for this congregation, for the part that I can see with my eyes and the part that is with us in spirit as well. I thank you, Lord, for the gift that they have been to me and I thank you that the gift they are in your kingdom, in your world. And I ask that you be with them, Lord. Give them constant courage. Give them your grace. Give them your scripture open in their hearts and revealed to them. Thank you. Amen.